Okay, so the day is warming up and perhaps the post-lunch digestion process are kicking in, the fire element of digestion. But this is a time in the uh, arc of the day where we often experience a lot of sloth and torpor. So if that's true for you at any point during the talk or the guided meditation, it's fine to stand for a few moments, as long as you like, uh, just to help the energy and the attention stay present. So yesterday we started to explore the set of practices known as the four Brahma-Vihara, the four sublime states or heavenly realms or the four immeasurables. And we spent the afternoon practicing the first of these four states, which is metta, kindness or goodwill. And metta is really the foundation of all of these practices. And if the Brahma-viharas are taught at all, it's usually this one that we hear the most about. But as I said yesterday, this can give the unfortunate impression that metta is always what we're supposed to be cultivating or responding to every situation with. And in some circumstances, that might not be the case. Metta might not be the wisest attitude to be cultivating. So I used to uh, volunteer in a men's prison in Massachusetts. And when the men first heard about metta, some of them got really worried because they had this idea that they were supposed to become everyone's new best friend. And obviously in a prison setting, there are a fair number of people that you don't want to spend too much time with. So in a situation like that, equanimity or compassion might be a more appropriate response. Just a basic respect for the other person, but definitely maintaining an appropriate uh, distance or appropriate boundaries. So instead of struggling to offer metta in a particular situation, at times compassion or joy or equanimity might actually be more appropriate. And ideally, we would have several days to explore each of these four qualities. But in the context of a seven-day retreat, unfortunately, that's not the case. Having said that, I still would like to give you at least a little taste of each one of these because they are so rarely taught. I'd like to give you some first-hand experience at least to dip into each of them. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit more about compassion, but before we go there, I'd like to give an overview about uh, how these four Brahma-Vihara qualities work together to support each other and to support insight. Because this too is an aspect of these practices that isn't taught very often. And in my own experience, I got very interested in the relationship between the four Brahma-Vihara qualities a few years ago when I was on retreat at the Forest Refuge in Massachusetts. And one of the teachers there was talking about the nature of mind. He quoted the 19th century Tibetan meditation master Shamkar. The mind nature is vivid as a flawless piece of crystal intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, ceaselessly responsive. 
And at the time that quote really struck me, there's a lot in it, so I'll just say it again. The mind nature is vivid as a flawless piece of crystal, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, ceaselessly responsive. And during that retreat, I'd been practicing the four Brahmaviharas quite intensively. And when I first heard this or image of the mind being like a flawless piece of crystal, that quality of transparency made sense to me. Because when the heart-mind is perfectly clear, free from obscurations, it automatically responds in the appropriate way. And interestingly, there's about four pages of my notes missing. So I get to practice very spontaneous description of this connection between the four Brahmaviharas and the diamond image. So if you think of the heart-mind as being clear and pure, just like a diamond, it's the transparency of the diamond that allows it to flash red or blue or yellow or green in response to conditions. In the same way, when the heart and mind are completely clear and pure, we automatically naturally respond with kindness or compassion or joy or equanimity. Another way that this diamond metaphor works is if you think of the shape of a diamond, so if your eyes are closed, you might need to open just for a moment, we can think of this arrangement of the four Brahmaviharas as being located on the points of the diamond. So at the bottom tip is metta, because metta is the foundation for all of the others. And as I said the other night, when this metta or goodwill turns towards suffering, it flowers as compassion. So we can think of compassion as being located at one of the side apexes of the diamond. On the other side, when this goodwill turns to what's going well, it can flower as mudita, appreciative joy. So compassion and appreciative joy are the two side points of the diamond. Then when these two come together, at the top we have equanimity, which is the balance of heart and mind that can know the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows without any kind of wanting or not wanting, craving or resistance. So equanimity is at the apex of the diamond. So we might start to see how all four of these Brahma-viharas can work together and support and reinforce each other. And in a similar spirit, I'd like to read you a passage that uh, another of my teachers, Caroline Jones from the Forest Refuge, put together with a colleague, an English Dharma teacher by the name of Paul Burroughs. And this too lays out the, the relationships between these four. So they say, metta or kindness, is the love that connects. It's an antidote to all forms of aversion. It is not attachment. If it slides into sentimentality, karuna or compassion brings the heart back into balance. Karuna, the love that responds, 
is an antidote to cruelty. It is not pity. If it slides into sorrow, mudita, or appreciative joy, brings the heart back into balance. Mudita, the love that celebrates, is an antidote to envy. It is not competitive. If it slides into agitated excitement, upeka, or equanimity, brings the heart back into balance. Upeka, the love that allows, is the antidote to partiality. And I've lost the rest of the quote, which is very sad. Oh no, here it is. It is not indifference. If it slides into disconnection, metta brings the heart back into balance. So you might get a sense from that of how all of these qualities naturally slide into and support and balance each other out. And we come full circle. So when, if upeka starts to slide into disconnection, we come back to metta to bring the heart back into balance. So coming back to the relationship between metta and karuna, compassion, we turn this base of goodwill towards what's difficult in our own and others' lives without flinching or getting lost in grief. And as you just heard in that quote from Caroline Jones and Paul Burroughs, each of these Brahma-Vihara qualities has what are known as a near and a far enemy. So with compassion, one of the enemies is pity. Pity might at first glance seem like it's in the terrain of compassion, but if we investigate more closely, we might see that energetically there's a kind of distancing or separation or even superiority to it. A sense of, oh, poor you over there who's suffering, and me over here, I'm okay. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. If we do recognize this kind of disconnection, we might need to reestablish the foundation of metta, kindness, or warmth more strongly before we again turn towards compassion. Or we might need to change the person that we're working with to find someone where the compassion comes more easily. This is not cheating, because with all these Brahma-Vihara practices, it really is about cultivating the path of least resistance. So we're encouraged to start where it comes most easily, and then slowly and gradually begin to expand our capacity so that we can offer this compassion to an ever-widening range of beings. A second challenge of this quality is that uh, if we're not careful, we can easily fall into grief or sorrow at the other person's plight. And there's a subtlety here because sometimes compassion is conflated with empathy. They're seen, compassion is even described as empathy and it's talked about as being feeling the other person's pain as if it were our own. But compassion is not just empathy because as we all know, I think in our own experience, there's a very real risk of burnout with empathy if we're feeling something exactly on the same level as the other person. True compassion is protected by wisdom 
And it's this discernment that helps us to stay balanced and centered and grounded, like that image of Kuan Yin that I described last night, where we have this sense of balance. Part of us is connected to our own inner resources, so we're not reaching out and getting off balance. If we are starting to find ourselves uh, moving into the terrain of grief or overwhelm, then we might really need to emphasize that compassion is about knowing the relief from suffering. So we might imagine whoever we're working with being relieved of whatever their particular suffering is, perhaps seeing them coming back to full health or imagining them getting out of debt or finding a better job or being involved in a healthier relationship or whatever is relevant for their situation. And when we can really sense into this possibility of freedom from suffering, we might even feel a sense of lightness or happiness on the other person's behalf. And so we then might understand the relationship between compassion and appreciative joy or mudita, which we'll touch into tomorrow. But even before then, if we're starting to feel that we're getting lost in suffering, it can be skillful to consciously turn to mudita, appreciative joy, and see if we can find something that's going well. Because often, even in the most challenging circumstances, if we look carefully, there might be some silver lining to the cloud that we can find. And this orientation to what we might be able to appreciate about the situation can help lighten the load of the distress. So I'd like to move into some actual practice in a few more moments, and we'll be using the traditional method of reciting phrases again, as we did yesterday with the metta. But this time, the person we'll be working with, rather than the benefactor, will be someone that we're close to, but who's currently experiencing some kind of challenge or difficulty or pain. So it could be a friend or a family member, a partner, really anyone you know quite well and naturally care about who's having a hard time at the moment. And remembering that this is the path of least resistance and that it's a gradual training, I really encourage you to not choose someone who's going through some really intensely painful crisis. So if you think of a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most intense difficulty, see if you can find someone to work with who's no more than a 5, so that you can gradually work this compassion muscle. And in the phrases, I'll be using the word pain, but this refers not only to physical pain, to any emotional pain or any kind of difficulty or challenge. So the phrases I'll be using are, I'm aware of your pain. I care about your pain. May your pain release. And may you know peace. So the first step is just that willingness to acknowledge Yes, I am aware of your pain. So it's connecting with that truth. I care about your pain. So it's a statement, but we might notice in our own hearts, oh, I don't know. It might be more of a question mark. Can I care about your pain? 
Then there's the wish to be relieved of the suffering. So may your pain release, may you know peace. So that's the orientation to the freedom from suffering that helps protect us from just falling into the grief and staying there. Okay. So shall we give that a try?